Alright, here we go. It's episode 37 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview. This is the NBA edition. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame. Joined here by NBA betting expert. Got Mackenzie Rivers in the house. You guys can also get him on Twitter as well, at Mackin Rivers. Mackenzie, here we go. You and I, we're going to go ahead. We're going to break down all four games. We have games on Friday, games on Saturday, and we have some best bets. And I think we're going to do well. We did well with our last best bets. You and I went ahead. We went 2-0. Uh, I have one that's uh, a little contrarian, Mackenzie. I don't know if you'll like this one or not, but I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to share that with you and everybody else. What I want to do, Mackenzie, I want to start out with the Heat and the 76ers on Friday. That's going to be the 7 o'clock game. It'll be the first one here leading off Friday night. Uh, currently right now, the Heat minus 3 on the pregame.com game center, and we have a total of 210 and a half. Mackenzie, I don't know if you saw the news today. Joel Embiid ruled out, but with some optimism that maybe he could come back. So I don't know if you saw that news and what you think of that, but let me break down what happened with the line. 76ers opened up as a favorite here at home, minus one. And then the Embiid news came out, and the line had shot to Heat, minus four and a half, minus five at some shops. And now this line has settled Miami Heat, minus three. I'm not sure what you make of the Embiid news. If you if you believe it or if you don't, if you think he's going to be out, maybe he does play. You know, where do you fall with Embiid? Where do you fall with this line right now for this Heat and 76ers game? So prior to the series, did this work for straight out of Vegas at RJ Bell's behest? Uh, I looked at what the odds were saying with him in before we knew it, but this orbital fracture when it opened up heat by four in game one and with him out that information that we had looking at the series price, doing some calculations and saying, what is Vegas saying about his him coming back? And Vegas was saying a lot with the, of uh, what the Bill Simmons types in the media were saying where it's a pain tolerance thing, and he's not traveling to Miami for a reason. He's healing up, and he'll probably play game three. The odds were saying that. The media was saying that. So I was very surprised. I did see the news this morning right before Straight Out of Vegas started, so I had to you know, change all my preparation sheets because the odds were changing. I want to make sure all the live information is correct. But I was I was very surprised to see it because Doc Rivers had said he was feeling better and he didn't want to get anybody ho- was hopes up, but... It all sounded like cautious optimism when he was announced out. You know, it was re- it was really surprising, and I didn't think much of it. And you kind of pointed to me and said, "Why are we sure that he's not going to play?" And then I looked at the report, Shams Asania. The Sixers are listing All Star Joel Embiid is out for Game Three versus the Heat on Friday. That's the team's perspective. The team is doing this. Doesn't say anything about Embiid's progress, his condition, any potential new timeline. It's just saying, hey. Clerical issue, the 76ers have to file an injury report. They have to put a designation. They're saying out right now, 36 hours before the game. I could see things changing. Did they say that Joel Embiid will play game three? No. Like, I didn't see it. Like, 100% Joel Embiid's coming back game three. They'll be like, okay, cool. You know, I I, I kind of believe that report. And then I see today that, that he's, you know, kind of out. I don't believe it. I think it's a smokescreen. I think you'll agree with me, McKenzie. During the regular season, we're playing checkers, but now it's the playoffs. Now it's 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 go time, and teams are playing chess. And I think that if the 76ers say, uh, hey, look, you know, Embiid's going to sit. He's not going to play. Well, then Miami's not going to do much probably differently from their preparation than they have been. But if they go out there and they do the warm-ups, and all of a sudden, hey, Embiid's going to play, now the crowd's rocking. Now the team's rejuvenated. 
and now the Heat are going ahead and they're scrambling. So I don't know, man. It's one of those situations where I think that Embiid is going to play, and I think that if he does play, that this series does a complete 180. I would look to go ahead and take Philly for the series if Embiid comes back because I think that they are far better than Miami. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to give out a best bet, McKenzie. I'm going to take the Philadelphia 76ers on the money line at plus 125. I believe Embiid will play. If he doesn't, then guess what? Then I'm stuck with a ticket where I'm probably going to lose a little bit of value. But I believe if Embiid comes back, that Philadelphia becomes the favorite in this game again, and they might be laying you know, minus 125. So I feel like I'm going to get a decent price here, but I have a real strong, strong gut feeling that Embiid will play. And they're going to win this game. And I think not only will they win this game, I think they're going to win the next. I think a lot of it's going to be Joel Embiid, the savior. Because if Embiid doesn't play, everything gets put on Harden. And then where does that put Harden and the Sixers going into the offseason? Things don't look good. It's like, hey, you know, should we pay this guy? Should we keep him around? Philly doesn't need that. The Philly media is just absolutely brutal. They'll chew this team up, spit him out. There's a chance Doc Rivers will get fired. Who knows what will happen? But I like the Sixers, so... I'm going to go ahead and make a contrarian play here, kind of a ballsy play, McKenzie. My best bet for this podcast, I'm taking the 76ers on the money line, plus the 125. That's where I'm at with that. Not sure if you have anything else to go ahead and top this one off. Maybe you uh, maybe don't like my best bet, but we've been hot. I've been pretty good with these, so that's what I'm going to do. You're a braver man than I, and to be honest with you, I love this bet, not because I think it is the best bet. <laughs> I'll give you my best bet later on the show, but the analysis is so unique that uh, it's compelling to me because nobody that I read, you know, preparing for straight out of Vegas, you know, since after the show, looking through media reports, nobody I've met or I've heard talking about has said this out loud that this could be a smokescreen. This could be intentional and it would not be very different from what we've seen already in this playoffs. Think about it. Devin Booker goes down. First report, couple days. Couple days, he's at least out games three and four, ESPN reports. Team says nothing. Team says nothing about the situation. Booker's going to get back when he gets back. About two days later, another Woj report, this t- type of injury is a grade one knee strain. Grade one knee strains take two to three weeks. Booker is reported... Estimated time of return is two to three weeks. That was all That was all very uh, well-orchestrated PR, but it had nothing to do with reality. Knee strains aren't grade one, grade two, grade three. They're you know, on some spectrum of, of difficulty of returning. So the fact that they had a name for it had nothing to do with whether it was going to be a couple days or two to three weeks. Whether it was the team, most likely, uh, wanted to get that news story out there about how Devin Booker was really up against it. That way, when he came back, hey... Right before game six, literally the day of, you know what? His progress has been amazing. He's so healthy. He's going to go out and play. Pelicans weren't ready for it. Pelicans lost the game. I could see that exact same scenario in the Sixers' mind. Hey, Embiid, you good? You good? All right, we'll we'll check tomorrow morning to see that you're you're all right. But we'll list you as out, and then we'll check tomorrow morning. And, you know, maybe you'll have a good night's sleep. Lo and behold, he has a good night's sleep. Shocking tomorrow. And what's interesting is, is, like you said, it moved all the way up to five. And then three minutes after the athletic report, ESPN had that slightly more optimistic, like, hey, things could change, Woj reports, three minutes later. And then it went to five and quickly got bet back to three. I think there's a 30 40% chance. It sounds like you think it's 
I think it's at least 40% that despite reports and Bede's not playing has been greatly exaggerated, Mark Twain might say, I think there's a great chance that he plays. That's why I think you got a solid bet here. I like the um, Booker comparison. And look, he's he's played already with the mask before. It's not like this is something that's uncommon to him. And, you know, this isn't necessarily an uncommon injury. I mean, these, these injuries have happened. Go back to guys that have played with face masks in the playoffs or throughout the regular season, you know, with a quick turnaround. I mean, they're Kyrie did it, Kobe, LeBron, Rip Hamilton. Yep. And that guy seemed like he was in a face mask for years. So these guys play when they get injured like that. You know, whether they, you know, break their orbital or break their nose or something like that, like they have protection for that. I think that they actually said that Embiid did have a slight concussion. So, you know, he would have to go ahead and pass those protocols. I guess maybe there's a little bit more to it, but Embiid's been here before. He's done that. And this is the year, you know, where the 76ers went all in. They went and they got hardened for a reason. Embiid is an MVP type of player. He's going to make a big difference in this series. And the lopsided losses that we've seen for Philly on the road um, is because Embiid's not out there. He changes this entire series. If he comes back tomorrow, I absolutely love them. And I think they even this series up uh, over the next two games. So I'm giving you guys that as my best bet. Philadelphia money line plus the 125. Let's jump over to the nightcap here, McKenzie, on Friday. Uh, we have the Suns and the Mavericks. Mavericks down 0-2. Not a good showing in the last game. Fourth quarter, absolutely blown out. But the Mavs are going to be a slight favorite here. Most of the sports books are at Pick'em, but I do see some minus ones here for Dallas. We have a total of 219, 219 and a half. Mackenzie, not sure what thoughts you have or what bets you have written down on your sheet for this particular game. I have one here that I like quite a bit. It is a player prop, but I'll let you go ahead and rip a run on this one first. Suns, Mavs, what do you got? I think much like Clippers, Mavs, round one the last couple of years, this series is all about... Uh, our collective evaluation of Luka Doncic because after his 35-point performance in Game 2, you might have heard this, he passed MJ. He passed Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan is now number two all-time in career playoff points per game. Luka's number one, 35 points only on 22 shots. However, however, that was only part A. That was only one subplot of that Game 2. Second part? Bob Volgaris pointed this out on Twitter. The Suns went after Luka 50 times as the screen defender. 50 times they went after Luka as the on-ball screen defender. That's when you know you have a pick and roll and you target the guy that you want to have to be dribbling at. On those 50 possessions, 1.7 points per play. So they were not only doing it a lot, they were pretty much having... I mean, if you shoot a 90% shot, you have a two point two points if you make it, 90% chance you make it, that's 1.8 points. That's pretty much a 90% field goal attempt on Luka every time they did it. And historically, he hasn't been known as a, a terrible defender, you know, not above average, but this is where it gets interesting. Monty Williams has said before Arizona Sports brought this quote up recently, that the Suns have data that your offense and your defense decreases later in games the more you dribble the basketball. Well, to score 35 points per playoff game in Luka's 18 career playoffs games, he's developed a very heliocentric or ball-dominant style of basketball, which he's obviously leaning into at the moment, and that makes him susceptible. It makes him wear down later in games. So he's Obviously going to be better in shape, not obviously, but I think there's a strong chance, much like Zion at 28, 29, 
He's going to be in better shape than he is now. He came into the season weighing 250. And I think he's going to learn, you know, a lot of what LeBron and what maybe Harden didn't learn, but a lot of what playoff basketball is different than what leads to individual success and what even leads to team success in the regular season. Jason Kidd put a point on it when he said, Luka had a great game, but no one else showed. We can't win with Luka out there scoring a 30 night, not this time of year. Notice he didn't say we can't win with only Luka scoring the ball. He said, no, if Luka scoring 30 a night, our offense is probably tilted too heavily towards Luka, not this time of year when the defense is better. You're you're having to play the same team again and again that can develop playing styles. I think they're, I think this is the game where we see a, uh, a lot of different wrinkles in the in the Mavericks offense, and it looks very different from what we've seen so far in these playoffs with Luka back. That's why Luka under is a bet for me. Luka under 34.5. Game one, it was 30.5. Big number, but obviously he's a big-time playoff performer his whole career. 30.5 seemed okay, about two points higher than his regular season average. Then he scores 45. Jumps up to 33.5 for game two. We get another over game. The Mavericks hit their team total over just barely at 109, and Lucas scores 35. I can't justify another point of adjustment upwards for Luka. I think it's just uh, people like to bet overs. People like to bet on the best players, and I think it's it's three points inflated at this point. That's why it's a bet for me under Luka 34 and a half. And I think the betters, McKenzie, were probably flocking to Luka you know, going into this series, being that he was back healthy, and he's a one-man show. Kid kind of hit the, the nail right on the head there, you know, when he said, like, you know, he can go out and score 30, 35, 40, or whatever, and you got to get other guys involved. They were going to lose. But the betters probably cashed. They probably cashed with Luca, and the books are like, let's just jack this up as high as we could probably get it until there's a point to where, you no, know, it gets a little gross. But the 34 and a half, I think it is a little bit gross to me. I think they adjusted him a little bit too high, but I think they adjusted Jalen Brunson a little too low. It can't just be Luka, and I don't think Kid's going to allow this team to go out there and say, sure, Luka, just go out there and shoot it 30 times, and all these other guys end up ice cold, you know, with four, five, six, seven shots under their belt, and they're just, they don't have enough touches and they don't have enough rhythm. I don't think that's going to happen. I actually like Jalen Brunson. Uh, on FanDuel, you guys could get this over 17 and a half at minus 135. I think he probably flirts with the 20, 25 point mark in this one. But I also think the under is worth a look in this game, too. Mackenzie, if you go back and you look at what the Mavericks did, not only at home, but in that Utah series, Utah struggled to get to the century mark a bunch of times in that series. Their defense is so much better at home, and I think that they bring that here because the Phoenix Suns put up 121, they put up 129, and Jason Kidd's going to go, we're not beating this team, allowing them 120 points. So I think the Mavericks throw a big wrinkle, like you said, I think a lot of it comes with their defensive effort. I think they slow down. They look to go ahead and try to get Luke in his best positions and all the other players and stop running up and down the court with Chris Paul and Devin Booker chewing you up each and every possession. They have to do something different. And like I said, this isn't a time to play checkers. This is a time to play chess. So I think the Mavericks move a couple of pieces around here. I think the books moved around a little bit, inflated Luka. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to take Brunson over, and I'll probably go ahead and play this under. And one of the reasons I really like the under is that, you know, they started this total out for this series at like 214. Then it was 217, and now it's up to like 219 and a half. Over adjustment. That's what I think. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but just with everything I say, what do you think? 
makes a lot of sense. And the great Steve Fezzik has brought this up before. The trend of over, over, change of venue, game three. What happens? Well, 63% of the time when you get back-to-back overs in the NBA playoffs historically, game three goes under. That's exactly the situation. Look, the Suns shot 15 of 18 in the fourth quarter. Probably their best shooting performance of the season. That's the last thing people saw. You talk about this adjustment. The Mavericks probably it probably should be lower than it was in game two or even game one. The Mavericks have been 70% to the under at home all season. They have the slowest pace in basketball. That's where they're at their happiest when Luka's, you know, ISOing people and taking as much time as he wants on the offensive side of the ball. I think we see that here. So I, I think there's a lot of factors that point towards the under. I like the play. Well, we've been good in this series. I don't think we've actually given out a play that's lost. And the fact that we're kind of fading the picks that we have made in the first two games, now we're kind of pivoting. Like, I feel really comfortable right now you know, after we talk this through and, and how we're kind of seeing this series right now. So I'm pretty happy with that. Let's jump over to Saturday here, Mac. We got the early game. This will be at 3.30 Eastern time tip-off. We have the Celtics and we have the Bucks. The Bucks right now going to be around minus three. We have a total of 213 uh, pretty much right now at all the sports books, at least on the pregame.com game center. I'm seeing a lot of 213s out there. Mackenzie, I'm going to make this one quick and short. I like Milwaukee here at home, laying the three points, and here's why. They absolutely lost that game in the first four minutes of game number two. If you're going to end up being down 20 points on any team, you better have a world-class offense like the Golden State Warriors where you can go out there and you can go on massive runs and put up a ton of points and have a good enough defense to hold down guys like Tatum. It doesn't matter. It's the Bucks. Like, I understand that they can score points and they can play defense, but, man, it's so hard on the road to come back when you're down 20. A lot of things have to go right. A lot of momentum has to be in your favor. And on the road against a good team like Boston, it's just not going to happen. So they lost that game in the first four minutes, and I think it's a game that that they could say, you know what, we didn't come out with our best effort, and we played really sloppy, we played really bad, and it cost us the game. But I think Milwaukee can come into the game three at home with confidence that they already beat this team, and now they're going to get to see them again here at home. The crowd will be behind them. So I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to play the Bucks here, and I'll leave it at that. I don't really like much else in that game, but the Bucks are, are the way that I would go. I kind of lean towards the other side, and here's why. Game one, Celtics were favored by four and a half. No Middleton, and Smart's fully healthy. Game two, okay, Smart's a late scratch. It drops from four and a half where it was to about four, three and a half in some spots. All right, so that was game two at Boston. Now Marcus Smart is fully healthy, you know, three days in between these games. Long time to make that quad feel pretty good. And we have a seven-point switch from Celtics by four to Bucks by three in most spots. I just think that's too much. I think people kind of looked at the first two games and said, well, the Bucks are much better than we thought, and the Celtics got lucky shooting. RJ said that on Straight Out of Vegas. I, I think that's pretty accurate. Whereas game one, the, the Bucks punched them in the mouth, and the story was, you know, have we underrated the defending NBA champions just because the Celtics were hot and they struck, I mean, they swept a team that, you know, a lot of people think was very overrated. There's some truth to that. There's also some truth that they couldn't shoot at all. It was it was a early start time. They hadn't played a buck style of defense with their high press high pressure and just you know quality defense probably in like a month. You know, you think about it. They had a regular season where they were playing a lot of teams that were resting their players down the stretch, like the Grizzlies last game of the season. Then they were playing the Nets, who were scrambling just to get five guys out there that knew what they were doing on defense. 
Ime Odoke talked about this, where they were caught off guard. I think it was just a startling result game one. Game two, I don't think they're going to shoot as well. They're not. Jalen Brown's not going to score 25 in the first half again. They're not going to outscore the team by 50 points from the three-point line. But I do think they're going to have success on offense. I do think they have the shooters to kind of take advantage of the weakness of the Bucks, which is they like to block the paint, send everybody down, and force you to win and die by the three ball. I think the Celtics can win by the three ball. And I expect them to win this series. Minus 130 seems like a good price. But I don't necessarily love them for this game. The Bucks have an uncanny home court advantage. They seem to get a lot of calls, especially in game three. They did last year against the Nets. That first game back at home. So I'm probably going to lay off the side. There is a total in this trend that I think is relevant. 56% of the time in the NBA playoffs, when a game is early, before 4 o'clock Eastern, this game's at 3.30, 56% unders, 99 unders, only 74 overs, and including 1-0 that trend in this series. Game 1, they started at 3.30, only scored 190 points. Wouldn't be surprised if we saw the same thing at another early start time in Game 3. Jalen Brown was hot, and that's one thing that that's one thing that that guy can do is he can get hot and, and he can go cold. I wouldn't rule out me trying to fade him this game because I know one thing about guys like him. He has the uh, he has like that Donovan Mitchell disease. It's like you touch the ball and it just go it gets shot up right out of your hands no matter where you're at in the court, good or bad shot, don't matter. And I think Brown coming off of a game like that, he might actually feel like, hey, I was the guy that won the game you know for us the last time. I'm going to go out and try to do the same thing. And those are the games and, and those are the type of guys that – will get your team in some kind of trouble. So uh, maybe I'll have an under Jalen Brown ticket in my pocket come game day, but we'll wait and we'll see. Uh, let's go ahead and let's close this one up there, Mac. On Saturday night, we have the nightcap. Grizzlies, Warriors, Warriors minus seven. We have a total of 225. I'll tell you, man, I really like the under in this game for a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons is John Morant. He absolutely carved them up. I'm pretty sure you watched some of that game there, McKenzie, and he was standing out at the top of the key. And he was basically pointing out everybody on the Warriors saying, come try to guard me. And guess what? Nobody can guard him. And Gary Payton ends up getting the nasty foul. They took out the best defender. I think that they have to do something different here with Ja. And I'm not sure if, if Memphis switches up their entire game plan. I think we will see a lot of Ja Morant out at the top of the key um, going ahead and calling out anybody out there that, that wants to go ahead and try to guard him. And I think the Warriors are going to try to switch that up. But that does take time. And I think the Warriors will send some help. And I think that there's a possibility that the Grizzlies might actually end up struggling, um, trying to get Ja right to the bucket the way he was last time, you know, drawing fouls, getting layups. And they might be searching for some offense, you know, really late in the shot clock. So I think that that's an element. I also think that the Warriors will come in here and play a little bit better defense. You can't let, you know, the Grizzlies go out there and just run up and down the court and, and get these easy buckets. They have to do something. I think Steve Kerr will figure it out. Don't really like the side much. And I will throw a player prop at you, but let me get your thoughts first on the Grizzlies and Warriors and maybe my like to the under. Yeah, under's going to be my best bet for this podcast. I think there's a strong, strong chance that this game looks much more like game two where it's a lot more half court and even more so on the Warriors side. I was listening to a podcast with a former NBA better, Bob Volgaris, and he made a good point that the Warriors kind of style, they're what they're known for is kind of the opposite of what works against the Grizzlies, where they're doing a lot of slip screens, they're getting people running around, uh, multiple passes, trying to get those threes up. Well, the Grizzlies are very athletic, very young, and don't seem to be fooled by any of this action, don't seem to be uh, exploitable by that much. 
On the other hand, the Grizzlies were the third worst team against pick and roll defense this entire season. Well, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson's been struggling. Steph Curry has not been. I think they just go to Steph Curry pick and rolls for much of the game. And what's another ancillary benefit of that? Another good point by Bob Volgaris. Let me, let me give him credit for that. The number one way to stop John Morant when you don't have Gary Payton, the second, who, by the way, played, started 16 games in the regular season, but was going to be the starter for all seven, if necessary, games of this season because he's the guy you get to to guard John Morant. Well, without that, there's different ways you have to try to wear him down, like the Suns did with Luka Doncic. The guy's dribbling all the time. Get him on defense. Get his ener- Get him while his energy level is down. So that said, I think the Warriors play a lot more half court. I think they go through Steph Curry pick and rolls, and they try to attack John Morant on defense. On the other side, I expect the Grizzlies to not be able to, you know, take six steps when they're walking to the basket. For John Morant, for example, I think the refs will be uh, slightly more aware of that after that gotten some some pub. But I also just think they're not going to shoot lights out from three uh, necessarily. That's not really their game, and John Morant's not going to score forty seven. They're going to be able to either throw Draymond on them. Not having Iguodala will hurt. But in general, they're just better than the defensive performance that allowed 47 to the 22-year-old in Game 2. So I think for those reasons where the Warriors are going to play slower, and I just think they're going to play better on defense, I think that leads leads me to the under. That's the best bet from this podcast. Under 225.5. All right, so with all that stuff that you said there, McKenzie, what you said leads me to... Going back to maybe a prop that we went ahead and we cashed, I would say maybe like one of our first podcasts, and that was an Andrew Wiggins prop. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play him points, rebounds, and assists uh, under 23 and a half. I really think one guy is going to get squeezed out of this offense because he can't defend John Morant, and that's Andrew Wiggins. And I think they're going to bring in Kuminga off the bench. So I'm going to go back to that prop. I think Wiggins is the guy that gets squeezed here. Uh, they can't put Clay on jaw. It's just it's not going to happen. Curry's just too small, and, and maybe they go ahead and throw Draymond out there, you know, at times maybe for help, but, you know, you can't get him in trouble and, and trying to, you know, hang with the speedy John Morant. Um, you're bound to go ahead and pick up fouls. Let the guy off the bench pick up fouls, and I think that's Kaminga, young kid. Uh, I believe he's faster than Wiggins. I think he's more athletic than Wiggins, and I don't believe you lose, you know, any scoring with a guy like Kaminga. He, maybe he's not ready for the moment. I believe athletically he can go ahead and he can hang, you know, with Morant and kind of stop him. So, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play the squeeze here. And I think it's going to happen to Wiggins here uh, for this particular game. I don't mind his points under, but I think the points, rebounds, and assists offers a little bit more value here. So I'm going to go ahead and play him under 23.5 points, rebounds, and assists. Not sure how you feel about that, McKenzie, but I think maybe it's time that we go back to maybe taking a look at some Wiggins props. Yeah, it hasn't been bad at all. This uh, playoffs, he's gone over 23.5 points, rebounds, and assists only twice. And it goes back to what we were saying before the playoffs, just big picture, what's happening with the Warriors. And I think it starts and ends with Jordan Poole, the death lineup 2.0. Bill Simmons recently said game two of the Grizzlies was the day that the death lineup 2.0 died. It just isn't good enough defensively to stand up. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I think Jordan Poole coming back home at San Francisco is actually going to play more, be a bigger part of that offense. And... If, if Andrew Wiggins isn't cutting it as a defender, he's not really bringing a lot to that death lineup, which is the three guards, Clay Thompson struggling, but, you know, historically has had many, many big games, even after bad shooting nights. Steph Curry, best player in the league, arguably, last 10 years, maybe. 
I don't know. Is that controversial? And then you have Jordan Poole, who just had 30 points in game one. And you have Draymond Green, who's the f- defensive player, you know, of his generation, arguably. I don't think Andrew Wiggins is is necessary. I know he was the number one overall pick for what you're trying to accomplish with that fifth spot. I think you have enough scoring. I think Kaminga, especially as he grows up, he's only a rookie, but he's, you know, a year into his into his NBA career now, could be getting more playing time. So I, I think they continue to set these Wiggins props too high. I think his minutes uh, are very suspect. Could He played 24 minutes just a couple of games ago. Could easily see him getting that light of a workload again. So that under makes sense to me. Let's give that a stamp of approval. We'll do that. All right, so just to go ahead and recap our best bets, we gave that out in the first game and the last game. So if you guys have skipped all the way to the end to hear our best bets, too bad for you. You're going to have to go ahead and listen to the podcast. And then you guys can get all the good bets that McKenzie and I went ahead and gave out. But that'll wrap up the podcast, guys. That'll wrap up episode 37 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. Uh, you guys know where to find us on Twitter, SleepyJ underscore pregame, at Mac and Rivers. You guys could always get us at pregame.com. Make sure you guys like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, hopefully you guys do well. We wish you guys all the best of luck. Enjoy the games. Thank you.